Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm your host, ML Ruschak. I'm here with special guest, Michael Neal. Welcome. Thank you very much. Now, you're an author, but you're also a coach. So which came first? Uh, well, coach came, writing came first, but coaching came second, and then authoring came third. Okay, so. So, so, so to me, the difference between a writer and an author is, I, I've been writing since I was in high school. Okay. I, I, in fact, since earlier than that, I wrote like little children's plays when I was a little child. Mm -hmm. So I've been writing, but nothing got produced. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in high school, we did put out a book called Stone Stew, which was this um, leather adaptation of the old stone soup story that I wrote okay. in rhyme. And so I did actually have a book published that was sold at like craft fairs around uh, the country when I was a teenager. Well, that's cool. Um, which I'd forgotten about until we literally moved my mom out of her house uh, about six weeks ago and we found a copy and I was like, oh my God, I'd forgotten about that whole thing. Well, um, you which was kind of well, cool. it's cool to have it. Hmm. As a mom looking back, you go, oh my God, I forgot that. Or even as an adult yourself, you, like when we were moving my grandmother out, we found things that my aunts and uncles wrote in school and you, you know is this stapled together things that I wrote stapled together and you go oh I forgot I wrote that yeah. so yeah we start writing at a very young age is always with us but you didn't get published until an adult uh, until, yeah until much much later and in fact I uh, I wrote for a radio comedy series for the BBC in 1994 and I remember telling my wife, this is what I should be doing. I don't know why I'm wasting time with the acting and the coaching and all this other stuff I'm doing. This is what I'm meant to do. And I did not write another word for six years. You should have went with your instinct because you have oh, so many yeah. great books out now. Yeah. Look at how many you could have wrote back in the- Well, I, I, I also ghost wrote and worked as a developmental editor on another sort of eight books over that time. So I was actually working on books, but they just weren't mine. Um, it, uh, it, it works like that though. Yeah. But you have the self-help, feel good, get out of your way kind of books. And those are the books that more and more people are turning to these days because we're either depressed and don't know what we're doing with our life, or we have an idea, we just don't know how to get there. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, given those two choices, I, I, I know which one I'm picking, but it, it, yeah, I think that is right. I think 
in some way, somebody said about my coaching last year that it's gone from being a luxury yacht to a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something similar with the sort of the best of the self-help stuff that's out there. Right. It's gone from, oh, this is cool. This helps a bit to, oh, thank God I know what I know. Mm-hmm. It is. You have to have a, the right coach to motivate you to go to the direction that you're meant to be on. There's so many great coaches out there. I mean, Tony Robinson, um, Antonio Smith, there's great coaches, but you have to find the one that speaks to you. For me, I had always been looking first for me and then I would share what I'd seen. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the direction of it. And it, it turned out I went on an 18 year detour. So okay. I, I, when I first, my first self-help experience that worked was with Tony Robbins. So it was, and it was life-changing. And I experienced this state of, of just presence and power and, you know, what I would kind of probably call mojo. It's like mm-hmm. I found my mojo. And if, if his next sentence in the book that I was reading at the time had been, if you're feeling that kind of feeling, that's your natural state. That's actually how we're made. My career would have gone in a completely different direction. But the next line was, if that technique helped, here's 30 more techniques. And so for 18 years, I became a first an NLP practitioner, then master practitioner, then trainer, then master trainer. I worked with one of the founders of the field because it was, it was the best way I had found to help people find that in themselves. Mm-hmm. But then in 2008, I had a sort of a, I mean, for lack of a better world, a spiritual epiphany. And I realized, oh God, we have been working so hard to get people back to the factory default. It is. You have to, if you're in the state of bliss and you find that, regardless if you're talking to a coach, if you're talking to a mentor, if you're talking to a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, we, if you find it and it clicks in you in that moment, that is the path you're supposed to be on. We, and we do this as humans all the time. We take detours because what's the next sentence out of our mentor's mouth? What's the next words wrote in the book that we're reading? Words matter. Well, and it, it, there's a thing that I kind of talk about is educated faith, Mm -hmm. right? Where you, you learn that you can trust that inner guidance, that inner knowing, that inner movement over time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, it's nice to say, oh, if I just have faith in this, it will work. But, but if you kind of look back, you see times where you did and how things worked and how they felt. And you see times where you didn't and how things worked and how they felt. And you can kind of educate your faith. So it's like, it would be nuts to get up in an airplane if you didn't know how airplanes worked. Right. Right. There's a story that I love about, um, and as far as I can tell, it's true. In 1911, this man wandered out of the Sierra Nevada woods near Stanford, and he called himself, the only word he had was Ishi. And they found out later when they learned a bit of his language that Ishi just meant man. And he was of a tribe. He was the last of his tribe that had been living up there. And back then it was a curiosity. So there was a professor at Stanford who kind of took him under his wing and went on lecture tours, you know, showing off the, the, mm-hmm. the lost, the lost man. And the first time that they went to a train station to go on one of these lectures, um, the professor noticed that Ishii was hiding behind one of, a pillar at the train station. And he just said, 
come on, he egged him on to kind of get on the train. And, and later he asked him, why were you hiding? And Ishii said that for our people, we would see the giant metal dragons going through the, the valley floor, swallowing up the people and, and eating them. And so I was afraid. And the professor said, well, but if you thought it was a giant metal dragon that was going to eat us, why did you get on the train? And he said, well, in my life, I've learned to be more curious than afraid. And I think that kind of just natural curiosity, bringing that to the fore, letting that take you on some experiments and on some magic carpet rides, it, it all works towards this just amazing experience of flow that we can live in most of the time. Right, it's like if you have this great job opportunity, you may not know the city that you're going to, you may not know people that are in there, but you have this great job opportunity. And it's either you take it and you go on this magic carpet ride and you have three, four months to figure out if it's actually a good fit for you, or you hold yourself back because I don't know anything. Well, and it's funny, my daughter has literally just taken her job. She starts on Monday like that, where she has no idea if it's going to be amazing, if it's going to be terrible, but she knows to do it. Mm -hmm. And she's off on an adventure and we'll find out, you know, we'll all find out together. Right. Um, my team and I are on the same adventure right now and we're all in different mindsets about this. I have one that is, I'm terrified. I don't know if I really want to go, even though the opportunity is priceless. And then I'm like, oh no, I have to go. I have to go. It's exciting. I don't want to look back. I have to jump because that's my mindset that I brought myself to. I can't hold myself back anymore. Well, well, I, I have a similar experience when I write. So I've written millions of words over the years. I mean, I've mm -hmm. had over 12 books published one way or another. And, and, and people say, oh, you must love writing. And the truth is some days I do and some days I don't, but I can't wait to see what I've written. I can't wait to see what comes out that day. And so it's a similar thing. You kind of have to take yourself to the unknown, let it happen. And then you go, oh, wow, that was cool. Or you go, oh man, that sucked. I'm not doing that. Right? Like, but you can't know right. before you start, before right. you're in the game. Right. It doesn't matter if you're an author, entrepreneur, life coach, whatever you're doing, you don't know what today is going to bring. It's an adventure. It's mini adventure but you don't know, you have to let yourself be in the moment. Well, and so many people aren't because they're, they're scared of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I've, I've just learned that nobody is really scared of the unknown. We're scared of the imagined known. Mm -hmm. We think we know what is lying in wait for us. We think we know what dragons are, are out there. And so we think it's like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But it's, it, that's not the unknown. Mm -hmm. That's just scaring yourself. Yeah. I'm the queen of doing that. You can ask. Yeah, well, me I'm you. the king. So, you know, nice to meet you. <laughs> so we do this to ourselves. We do, I call it the negative epiphany. And I go through this every couple of days with my boyfriend. What if? And it's all these negative things. Hmm. It's imaginary negative things that I bring onto myself. And what do I get out of it? A panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not necessarily conducive to a great relationship, 
you know. No, no, yeah. it's not. But he, he's gotten to the point, okay, we're going into imaginary negative. Okay, I get it. <laughs> right, but in a way, it is that awareness that that's what's happening that, that, that takes the weight off it. Yeah. Right, sometimes people you know, talk about uh, my work and they say, well, you seem, you know, they're, they're, you, you're laughing all the time and you're saying these things and, and, and it's like, don't you understand this is serious? And yeah. I, I kind of go, well, yeah, it's serious, but it's not heavy. Like heavy and serious don't have to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and when you can bring your lightness to something that is serious, you can actually get pretty far pretty fast. Right. People ask all the time. You're always smiling. Even when you're panicking, you're smiling. Like, if I'm still smiling, then there's a solution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this is probably politically incorrect, but not that politically incorrect. I, I, you know, I sometimes say, look, if you're drunk, but you know that you're drunk, mm -hmm. you're not that drunk. Yeah. Right. If you're, if you're freaking yourself out, but you kind of know you're freaking yourself out, you're not that freaked out. No. You're not. You have to have these epiphanies about yourself. And you have to get to your mindset of, hey, it's going to be okay. Well, you know, what I've found, because sometimes I talk to people who are in situations, you know, people in prison, people in, in pretty shitty mm -hmm. life situations, where I don't know that the situation is going to be okay, but I know they're okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that just little bit of a difference from it's going to be okay to it is okay. Mm -hmm. You're okay right now. Circumstances might not be anything you would ever ask for. Right. You're okay. And when we see that, we, we just do better. We feel better. We're, we're more confident. We're more able to handle whatever comes. Right. And I, that's a lot of what your books are. And some of your books I'm looking at as like the inside out the super coach, the space within, it's all, you know, getting in touch with yourself. Because once you know yourself, then you can figure out your path. Well, and it's getting in touch with the self you would be, even if you'd grown up in a completely different family, in a different body, in a different society. It, it's not like you, the personality. Mm -hmm. It's, it's you, it, you know, in Zen, they talk about, show me your original face, the face you had before you were born. It's that self. And that sounds to some people very esoteric and other people immediately know what I mean when I say that. But when you get in touch with who you are before all your ideas about who you are. Mm -hmm. Or like, other people's ideas about who you oh, yeah, that, yeah. I, I mean, one of, one of my favorite metaphors for it is we're all diamonds covered in horse crap, coated with, with nail polish, right? So the essence of who we are, it's, it's, it is the most perfect thing nature has ever made. Mm -hmm. It's covered in a load of crap that we've picked up along the way about ourselves and about other people. And then we create this personality of nail polish so that nobody sees how crappy we really are. Right. And it's people want, you know, when they come for coaching, they often start by going, I want better nail polish or I need to get rid of all this crap. When in fact, if they know there's a pony in there, if they know there's a diamond in the middle, it, it, it takes care of the rest. It does. And it's, we pick up crap, as we call it, or garbage, 
started yeah, at trial. We may, be, we may be getting too technical for the audience here, but you know, Maybe. Let's <laughs> but it's okay. I have very okay. mature audience, Excellent. so we're good. We're still keeping it within PG-13, so we're good. But at the same time, we pick up things that people say we should or should not be starting in early childhood. We go to our peers. Well, you're not so fill in the blank. You're, you're not pretty. You are pretty. You're smart. You're not smart. Whatever it is, we pick up these little tidbits, negative or positive, and we apply it to our diamond. Now we're, by the time we get to our 20s and 30s, we have this big mound of you know, manure, manure around our diamond. We don't know which is our truth because we listen to everyone else. It's when we stop listening to other people and we start living for ourselves, we find our diamond. I, I had a really interesting experience years ago. I, we, we moved from London to Los Angeles and we were invited to a Grammys party and I was dreading it because mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm shy. Like mm -hmm. even though I've done things in the public for decades, mm -hmm. <clears throat> as soon as I'm off stage, I'm like, uh. And, and, and I literally had this conversation in my head, not on purpose, where the first thought I had was, God, don't they know how hard this is for me? I'm shy. And then another voice came in and went, what if you weren't? And it was so like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And I suddenly thought, I don't, I've made up shy. I've taken some life experiences and gone, ha ha, shy, and ignored all the ones where I'm not. Right. And it was the first party we ever went to in, I mean, we've been together 33 years. It was the first party we ever went to where Nina and my wife wanted to leave before I did. You know, it was just like, oh, I didn't have to affirm the positive opposite. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to question what I thought was true. There's a beautiful um, line in a, a Taoist book called the Sin Sin Ming and the patriarch, I can't remember his name, who, who, um, who wrote it says, do not seek the truth, simply cease to cherish opinions. And if we can let go of all our opinions about ourselves, something emerges. It's already there, but it suddenly becomes visible in a whole new way. It, it really does. I, if you would have met me in 2018, I was this shy little self-centered like person. If you go to any of my previous interviews before 2019, you would hear it in my voice via radio. Yeah. And in 2019, in November, I went to this thing called AFM. And anyone that's in film or movies or stuff like this knows what AFM is. No one knows me there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to reinvent myself just for this and see what I can be if I let everything go. Mm -hmm. And I had the time of my life there yeah. for three days. Yeah. That's, but that, it, it, it's funny because you use the phrase reinvent yourself. What I would describe what you did as is let go of yourself. Mm -hmm. Let go of that and see what comes. Right. And it, what comes is inevitably, we like it better. Other people respond to it better. It's more alive. It's more vibrant. It's more authentic. It's real. Mm -hmm. And people are real. And that's what you have to do. You have to let go of everything you know and just leave. Hmm. 
And what's, what's left? You're actually yourself. You let people see your true self probably for the first time. Well, and, and, and I think often in my experience, it's, it's for the first time for you too, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we, we get so either enamored of or disgusted with the shell, the form that we, we forget who and what we really are and just how, how amazingly well we're made. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the Einstein quote that in life, you, you kind of have to treat life either as if nothing is a miracle or as if everything is a miracle. Right. And it's, it's like when you kind of start to look at, holy cow, I, we're so well-made and we are, are so capable. And it's just, we get preoccupied and we get caught up and we get distracted and we get sort of hypnotized by the world and we lose our way. And, and you know, uh, what I hope my books do and, and, and my courses and all, all the things that I do is, is, is just wake people back up to that. There's, there's a, sorry, there's, I just was thinking in, in um, The Space Within, I share a, mm-hmm. a story about, you, you know, imagine if Bill Gates comes to you for business coaching. And at first you're like, why is Bill Gates coming to me for business coaching? I think he probably knows a little bit more than I do. And then you realize he's got amnesia and he doesn't know he's Bill Gates. Well, are you going to share your top seven strategies for business success? Or are you going to try and wake them back up to who he really is? Right. And, and that's the essence of what's possible and, and what I think is kind of the highest path we can take as, as guides. Mm-hmm. You do it to help the other person when you wake them up. You don't do it for your personal gain because once you wake the person up, then they're going to share their knowledge with you. Well, but the other thing is sometimes when you first wake somebody up, it's not always pretty. Right? I'm sure you've been woken up. I have certainly been woken up when I didn't really want to get up. And, you know, it was like, it wasn't this, oh, thank you so much initially. Right. But once people kind of settle into it, it's like, oh, gosh, how, where, where have I been? Mm-hmm. It is. That was me with AFN. That was my awakening. That was my moment of epiphany. It wasn't pretty when I first, the day before I got there, it wasn't pretty at all. Yeah. You know, cause I have all this negative in my head that I invented. And then you go through it and you look back and go, that was really, really cool. Hmm. And this is where I want to be. So how do I take this three days and transfer it into the rest of my life. That's the epiphany. Once you get to the epiphany, then things start getting easier. Hmm. Yeah, instantly. Mm -hmm. One of the phrases that we use all the time because it was one of my early clients used it first was nothing's changed, but everything's different. So it's, it's not that the world has completely changed on the outside. It's that you just are seeing a different world. Right. And that's, that, that's fundamentally a, a, different way, a different place to look than I think most people are looking. That is completely true. You have to look at the world through your own eyes instead of through everyone else's. 
that's what we take on as children and we grow up with. We look through the world through how they see things, not through how we see things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I talk about it sometimes as the difference between normal and natural. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are normal that are really unnatural. And, and we're used to them, so we don't question them. Mm-hmm. But, but they're not how we would work if we hadn't been told oh, right. what we should do. Mm-hmm. I, I love, there's a Mark Twain quote where he, he, he says, if, if people learned to, to walk and talk the way we teach them to read and write, everybody would limp and stutter, right? We're made to learn mm-hmm. and we're taught how to learn. We're made to thrive, but then we're taught about what we need to do to thrive. We're made to love, but then we're taught how to love. And, and we just lose touch with- Everything. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but it's There's okay, all of, it's and still all there. Of, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't go anywhere. No, but. We, we do lose touch with everything. We learn, lose touch with ourselves. When you lose touch with yourself, then you lose touch with the world around you. Yeah, and and because it's kind of happening to everyone, mm-hmm. it's not personal, right? You're not, it's not like, oh my God, how did I do this to myself? It's like, no, everybody did this to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like we live in a culture that encourages us to do this to, to ourselves, mm-hmm. but we can wake up within the dream. You can. And it doesn't very- matter if you're waking up when you're 20. It doesn't matter if you're waking up when you're 60. You still have time to wake up and change. Well, we, we had a, a student on one of my programs and she was a college professor in her seventies. And one of the other students, you know, said to her, you know, you know, are, is it not upsetting to you that you didn't get this until this late in life? And she laughed and she said, I'd rather get it now than five years from now. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter where you are, it's available. And, and just sometimes take slowing down a little bit to notice. We all have to do things in our own time. It doesn't matter if you become successful at 20 or become successful in your mind when you're 80. Mm. It's your time. It's not someone else's time. We have to stop doing that. We have to stop comparing ourselves to our neighbor or to our parents or to whoever we're comparing ourselves to that says, we're not successful. We're not intelligent enough to go to college because you can go to college when you're 70. Well, you, you only have to stop doing that if you want to be happy, in fairness. Yeah, you, you can carry on. It yeah. just doesn't really lead to a great experience of life. Very true. You have to do what makes you happy. If it doesn't make you happy, quit doing it. That's simple. But it's a lot of work to do what finds to get you happy. Well, so I, you know, for me, part of what I saw in my, my epiphany, so mm-hmm. I, I, I had been what, what I called a high-functioning depressive for my whole life. So as a teenager, I was a suicidal teen and uh, got through that mm-hmm. and never really left it behind, but learned to do very well in the world. You know, I was, you know, and I'm happily married, great kids, successful at work, but I, I knew that fundamentally underneath mm-hmm. I was a I was a bad week away from you know being under the table again yeah and 
And I was okay with that. That just seemed like the best it was gonna be. And I was quite comfortable with that. And, and then I was watching this video of a, a, an enlightened Scottish welder named Sidney Banks. And in the video, he said, every human being is sitting in the middle of mental health. They just don't know it. And somehow I knew it. Like just hearing him say that, it was like, oh gosh, that's true. And my next thought was, you know, I'm pretty sure babies don't need therapy. Like it's, it's our natural um, resilience, our natural well-being, our natural presence is always sitting there just waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when I saw that, I, I just couldn't go back to doing things the way I'd done them because I, I was coping with a very real problem in my mind. And I suddenly saw, oh, the problem's not real. The problem's in my own thinking. Mm-hmm. It is. But we are almost out of time. This has been a really great conversation. And I would love to conversate longer, but of course we do have things called time in this world. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you? Well, so I am online at michaelneal.org. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. It's Michael Neal. I've got an Instagram, uh, Michael Neal Catalyst, and then I'm Michael Neal on pretty much all the social media sites. So. Awesome! So thank you so much for being on the show today. A pleasure. Nice to meet you. And for all of our readers and our listeners, happy reading. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.